Uh, so I've gone in for a little heavy hitter at the moment. I have Crafty's Salador release number four. People now now know that our special guest is Crafty. Look, there's no disrespect to our guest of honour here tonight, Crafty. Um, I'm not drinking anything. Loves Bayside whiskies, and it's actually doing it for me. At 3.30 in the morning, he left and I went to bed at 4. Well, good evening, people in podcast land. Thank you for joining us for the official fourth episode. It is the official fourth episode, or 4.1 if you want to call it that. A couple of weeks ago, we had a few uh, technical issues, so we couldn't get it out to you. But this is it. This is the big one. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's going to be a fantastic night tonight. We hope you sit back and enjoy uh, listening to Banter Over Whiskey. Banter Over Whiskey is a lighthearted and insightful look at whiskey, people, places, and, of course, the drams. Uh, we're going to shoot straight to John tonight. Uh, so he can start off our What's in Your Glass? What's in my glass is <laughs> beer. So <laughs> I'm... Um, Literally just uh, firing up. You know what? I've had such a day at work today that I had to hit something hard. Uh, so I've gone in for a little heavy hitter at the moment, which I think will be an awesome um, pellet reset button in between drams tonight. And it is Tempest Brewing, which was another uh, SMWS collab called the Old um, – oh, yeah, I'm not even going to bother with that word. It's a barrel-aged Imperial Scotch Ale. That's at 30%. Oh. So oh, yeah, very, very gravy spec. Um, it's yeah, it's got peated, um, it's got peated influence from the SMWS uh, whiskey barley. So that's definitely giving it a whole heap of flavour. And um, yeah, that ABV behind it, it's solid. So yeah. Uh, right, the next one we can kick on to is Vic. What have you got in your glass, mate? I have Crafty's Salador release number four. Ooh. That I, yes, I do have that one. I walked into this little store in uh, Newtown and behold, there was IM2 and the Carpet Tea number four sitting on, um, on the shelf. And it's changed on me. Every time I open this bottle, I get different flavors out of it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, it's gone back. Last time, I had, a, I had a lot of caramel and vanilla coming out of it. Now it's gone to peppery oak and um, a little bit of that um, red wine, tannic pepper. Crafty, do you want to enlighten us? Is this a trade secret or can you tell us a bit more about this batch? No, no, Later gladly. On. Gladly. I'll kick it off with the capity. So the capity four is uh, so that's part of the independent bottling range okay and with the capity we started to learn how to blend uh blend barrels together to create whiskey single malt whiskey right so anyway um i had two shiraz barrels one was from a winemaker an award-winning winemaker in in south australia and his award uh, release and so this is going back about four years ago, and I got this barrel, and it was like cool. And then I said, right now I'm going to go off and I'm going to um, I'm going to toast this barrel and char this barrel. And the winemaker went, oh, don't do that, don't do that. You'll destroy all the subtle wine notes. And so I didn't know any different at the time, and I went, okay, I won't do it. So I didn't char it. 
Um, this particular barrel, what year one? Nothing. Year two, nothing. Year three, starting to get some flavor. Uh, year four, Chinese takeaway. That would be the best way to describe it. it. Had a real Chinese takeaway thing going on. I thought, well, this is not really a a Shiraz barrel type flavor profile, so I can't really release it as a, as a Shiraz. Um, and I thought, well, I'll put it through the Capity Stream, um, which generally the Capity Stream is our our tourist bottles. It's our market bottle, our cellar door, around forty seven percent. But then I vetted it with another barrel, which was another a Shiraz barrel. And um, putting the two together, it just came together beautifully. And it's by far my favorite KPD release. So it's actually two, um, two uh, new make spirits uh, matured in KPD from two different distilleries. So it's not a blended whiskey. It's a vatted whiskey. Um, and one of the distilleries is Riverborn. And the other one, I can't really discuss. Glows it, but they've they've rose to prominence. Let's just leave it at that. I think. <laughs> I think I'll work it out from there. <laughs> How's that? That's the short version, guys. <laughs> cool. All right, Crafty. Thanks for that. So, um, I don't think we need an introduction now because um, <laughs> I do believe uh, people now now know that our special guest is Crafty. So. Um, Welcome, Crafty. I'd like to thanks, uh, thanks, say thanks. thanks for joining us and um, looking forward to your input this evening. Um, myself, I'm like John. I'm uh, in my glass. I just have a, um, a beer, just to, like a palate cleanser between uh, between drams. It's an Eclipse Juicy, just one I found down the local bottle shop. Looks nice and purpley and pretty, and um, it's going really well. It's one of those fruity drinks that. Yeah, I know Mick loves and I should put an umbrella in it. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, what else we've got in store for tonight. And uh, I might just throw it over to you, Brad, if that's all right. No worries. Thanks, mate. I'm just wondering, is the beer purpley as well? Because that's, that's what I thought you were saying. Um, yeah, no, so what's in, my, what's in my glass? I'll, I'll, I'm actually drinking a... Um, uh, car strength, the batch ten car strength Grandronic tonight. This is the one that was released by um, the Whiskey Club. Um, was it this year? Was it? Yeah, it was no, it, it was well, this year. I, I, so it must have been January or December, was it? No, yeah, okay. actually, last year. Yeah, I forget. I forget we're in bloody twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, and so um, this is a uh, uh, Oloroso cask. Um, sorry, Oloroso and Pedro Zimenez cast, um, nice. and it's uh, 58.6%. Um, uh, as far as the, the batch batches go, like I've got a, a few of the batches now, and um, I think the, the nine that was before this one, obviously, um, was was a better, um, a better whiskey, um, but unfortunately I don't have too much of that one left. So... Um, but this one, this one's still quite good, um, and it's you know it's got a lot of those sherry sherry flavours about it that that Glendronic um, are famous for, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the the other drams tonight, and I might have to um, just go and grab myself a beer because I might need a couple of uh, palate cleansers, like the other guys were saying. 
Um, but anyway, we might um, we might hand over to uh, Wes. Yeah, cheers, Brad. Um, I've actually got in my glass tonight. Uh, you've, I've been, I think I've been talking the last couple of podcasts. Don't know where I'm going. What I'm drinking actually didn't forgot I had this on the shelf. I'm drinking a uh, just a Balvenie week of peat. Fourteen uh, year old really loved the Balvenie range. Myself loved Bayside whiskies, and it's actually doing it for me at the moment. So I really think I need to go down my peat track a bit more um, this year. And that yeah, that's uh, cracking whiskey. Um, have you gone down the, the Ben Romack line? Tried Ben Romack, the Speyside? No, not much. Ben, ben Romack. Romack so, it's, yep. it's, a, it's a really interesting whiskey. Okay. Right. I'll have a look at that. Yeah. I was saying, Crafty, I'm sort of in a bit of a midst of my whiskey. My palate, I'm spoiled by too many good Aussie, big Aussie whiskies, and I need some of my Scotch whiskies to step up and you know match my palate. So this is really, yeah, doing it for me. Um, having a Hemingway's Brewery, Pitchfork Betty Pale Ale, which is going well with this whiskey. Not too fruity, just a nice ale. So, nice Pale Ale. So, yeah, it's actually matching well with the malt they're using in there. So, yeah, I've got a, and when we get onto it, one in my other glass um, of Craftworks uh, Rage airing there as we speak. So, yeah, that's it. So, Adrian, yeah. Well, What's going on in your world? We're back to Mick, mate, I believe, because um, oh, Mick. that's if he's, yep. if he's on the way again. I don't know. I can't remember what's happened since I can't. Yeah, thanks. I'll, just, I'll, I'll keep it short. And um, look, there's no disrespect to our guest of honour here tonight, Crafty. Um, I'm not drinking anything because I came straight home this afternoon and uh, my partner was busily cooking me a meal. She was cooking me tacos. No, you can't hear me? You've, yeah, no, I was you've waiting to say, yeah. Cooking me tacos and uh, me being the greedy bastard that I am, took a hot, hot mouthful of uh, mints, just took all the skin off the roof of my mouth. Oh. <laughs> so I'm sticking to the ice water, man. I'm. You'll see me sitting here tonight going, hmm. Mm. <laughs> we, were, we were just shaking, shaking our heads. Yeah, yeah. It's a whiskey podcast, you know. Yeah, I know. Is, man, is going to be? Yeah, put some ice in there for Saturday night, mate. We don't want you to buddy miss out. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, obviously, I was looking forward to the taste, and the only thing I can look forward to now is Saturday night when I go up the hill and uh, see old mate. Yeah. So hey, uh, Mick, Mick, do you want do you want to suck on some frozen peas? <laughs> 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 well, you know what? If all you'd be taking advantage of uh, this current situation with just bottle killing whatever you don't like that's just procrastinating in your collection at the moment. Because yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a bit scared to stick whiskey in my mouth right now, mate. My the roof of my mouth is just red raw. I can feel it. It's just like, oh, fuck. I just, I, you know, I put my finger in it and just took the skin straight out, the pieces, chunks of skin oh, on the top. No, of my no, nice work. Yeah, that's Burned it to pieces straight away. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, so, right. yeah, well, that's me. <laughs> well, let's throw up to Crafty then, mate. What do you got in your glass? Ah, I've got something very special in my glass. Very special. So, in my humble opinion, these guys are the most progressive distillery on the planet right now. Hey, Waterford. Yeah. Very impressive, guys. This is um, – so I, I actually got this 
um, at a local Dan Murphy's, and I know the head distiller at Waterford, and I have been haranguing him for the last year, saying, mate, there are so many Waterford followers in Australia, and there's no freaking whiskey. You know, what, when's it coming? When's it coming? And it was going, coming via Dan Murphy's. So anyway, they released it. They only released a very small quantity to a number of small um, shops. Um, I, I rang them up, the particular shop, and it was in Leichhardt, and they had six bottles. So I went in and I bought three, for, two for mates, and I was going to buy six, but they were all gone. So this is Hookhead, and for those who don't know what Waterford's main uh, story is, is they are 100% focused on proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is terroir in whiskey. And grain does actually matter. So they're very much about um, proving that you can have vintage whiskey, so year on year, and also that, yeah, grain does contribute flavor. It's not just about alcohol. And that um, terroir is a really real thing. Um, they're part of a worldwide project, a PhD project, to prove that terroir is a real thing. And in the, the larger Scottish uh, machine is a bit, uh, uh, what would I say, uh, uneasy right now because um, the likes of Waterford and a few other distilleries around the world are, are saying this is a real thing. So yep. and it's something I feel quite passionate about. Um, you know, as you guys know, I've, I'm part of uh, Aussie Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit, a little podcast, and we had the opportunity to talk to the head distiller, and we yacked on for two hours. Um, a bit like you guys, you're going to yak on for two, three hours tonight. And... Um, it's uh, it was so it was so insightful uh, on on what's going on there. So um, yeah, so I'm drinking Waterford, um, but then I'm switching into oof, the latest Blackgate. I'm looking forward to it because I haven't actually had in, well, I have tasted it at the distillery, but I haven't actually enjoyed it at home. So um, Crafty, just interrupt Waterford. I've just jumped on their site. There's not a lot about where they're from. Obviously, a Scottish distillery. No, Irish, mate. Oh, Waterford, Irish. Okay. Waterford is an Irish distillery in a, in a city yep. called Waterford. Um, if, you, if you dive onto their website, there is an absolute plethora of uh, information, technical information. Um, yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's a lot of really good technical papers uh, explained in plain English to people. Um, yeah, it's it's really, really cool website to play around and, and, and deep dive. Yeah, I love it. That's interesting. I'm pretty sure the owner of the distillery worked um, is the English guy that worked alongside um, uh, Jim McEwen, if I'm not mistaken. You're uh, right, mate. You're absolutely yeah. right. Mark Rainier. Mark, Mark Rainier was a wine merchant, and for 10 years he wanted to buy the Brook Laddie distillery off Jim Beam, and yep. finally they gave in and said, all right, you can have it. Um and he he was fundamental to the creation of the resurrection of the of the Brookladdy Scottish Distillery on Isla, and Jim McEwen was a big part of that that resurrection. So when when um, Remy Martin acquired uh, Brookladdy, it was a bit of a um, how would you say? Not everyone in the board agreed. Uh, mm. Mark Rainier cracked the shits. 
uh, took a still and went to Ireland and bought an old brewery uh, from Diageo and created Waterford. Um, and he wanted to take the Tower concept further, which he had already taken it within Brook Laddie. And still to this day, Brook Laddie is very much one of the Tower distilleries in the world. Nice. Love it. Cool. Brook Laddie right, so- is my, my spiritual home distillery. Yeah. It's a good place. Yeah. I can see why. Yeah. yeah. So are we going to uh, crack open some of these samples? So uh, I believe Wes had the uh, the rage. I've uh, poured myself some of that as well. Yep. And just letting it go. Sorry. Thank you. Um, water. Thank you, John, for um, supplying the rage. That's all I'm at. My you don't see a lot of that in the wilderness now. That one. Yeah. There's a couple here which I was um, – well, the Rage I actually had open for a little bit, and I thought, yep, yeah, perfect opportunity to share it. Um, and Blue Zero One, and wow. I had literally a small amount of Grumpy Old Man on a hill, which we'll go wow, into later. So I thought, no, nah, yeah, so I thought now would be an absolute stellar opportunity to go through all these. But yep. um, talk us through Rage. So rage. Um, so when so when we come up with a name, um, it, it, it's an interesting process. Um, up until they have a name, they have a number, right? So it's barrel forty-two or whatever it is. But the moment you 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 have a name on a barrel, in my opinion, uh, it develops its own personality. And rage came about because it was myself and the Todd, Todd Pointer, my right-hand man, unpaid, and um, we, we were looking at Rage and going, okay, I think this one's ready. We popped the top, and as we popped the top, I just went, oh, Rage, and Todd went, Rage, like the old ABC uh, mm-hmm. music show, and yeah. it sort of stuck from that point, and Rage is a, is a big whiskey. Uh, it's a big French oak um, Pinot Noir red wine cask. And the spirit, the new made spirit at the time, I couldn't disclose who it was because the distillery hadn't actually released. Uh, they've now released. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you it's uh, Ashling or Aisling. Oh, okay. New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And it's a big, rich, decadent, heavy whiskey. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's a high ABV. I can't actually remember what the ABV was of that one, but uh, it was a high ABV. 59.8. <laughs> it's not going to be. 59.9. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's higher than what we generally do. Um, and, yeah, it's the label. It's a big, bright red, you know, visual, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you saying the story actually, sorry to cut you off, but that – Explains a little fella there with the rage. <laughs> makes, it, perfect, makes perfect sense. <laughs> Crafty, um, your Pinot Noir cast, you charred this. Correct. Gave yeah, you a good jar, pretty heavy, to get the colour of it. So it was a Tassie Pinot. It was, uh, yeah. I got it out of um, uh, Tassie Cast Company, got them to make it, and it was a heavy yep. char. So early yeah. in the days, everything was heavy charred that I got. Yep. Are you are you moving away from that a bit? Yeah, I'm moving. Yep. I, I'm I. So I, I work quite closely with 
uh, a number of uh, Coopers. Uh, one yep. in particular is uh, Andrew Young YN Oak. And um, you'll see in my shed a lot of blue ring uh, barrels. And I've worked yeah, with them yeah. for quite a few yeah. years. Um, and over the time, I'm starting to now, it's, it's a refinement that's starting to come through. Um, yep. And moving towards a lighter char. So yep. more emphasis on the toast and, and backing the heavy char back. Yep. Yeah. And one definitely. Of the reasons, sorry, one of the reasons to back the char off is because if you've got four barrels and they're all heavy char, you can have inconsistency in those barrels. And we've seen mm-hmm. that, right? We've, we've filled, you know, four barrels, same spirit. And when they're matured, thinking, oh, they're all going to be the same, they're not, right? Mm. So moderating the char gives a bit more control, I, I believe, anyway. Yeah, and I think everyone, we all were probably, when we started out, everyone, I think, was going heavy char because we're looking at the states and they're releasing stuff a lot quicker and they've got less time constraints on them and they're going heavy char, big whiskies, bringing them out early. I've certainly started with, you know, first off, bang, heavy char, that's, and then backing that off a bit and then building the spirit up to match a bit better against the yes. char as well. Yeah. 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 Mate, I, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah. One, one, of, one of the things that I'm learning as I'm going along, um, and I only started laying barrels in 2015, so I, you know, I haven't been around that long. But what I'm learning is, yeah, that, that balance between the, the, the spirit, the, you know, the DNA of the spirit and the barrel, the barrel doesn't have to be 70, 80% of the flavor. Yeah. Um, you can wind it back and you can balance it with the spirit and you get a more refined whiskey, I think. Agreed. Uh, and that's probably what we did. We went big char, big barrel influence for our first few releases, Yep, which is great. But I think you want to, yeah, I think uh, yeah, you need that spirit to stand up against it. I agree. You know, and, yeah, balance the two together. So, yeah. I, I sometimes bang on on social media and get myself in trouble because I hear this comment, uh, Australian whiskey's hot tannic mess, right? And it, it honestly, it, it does give me the shits at times because I think it's it's not giving credit to you know, the Australian whiskey makers. There, there is absolutely a refinement which, which is which is rapidly happening in, in the Australian scene. And you've got the established guys like the Larks and the Overeems and, 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 and um, Lime Burners and all that, which have been doing it for years. But a lot of the smaller guys started off and it was like, wham, you know, big fortifieds, uh, small casks, and, and it was just yep. monster with, with the fortified flavors. Yeah. But there is a – people are, are learning their craft and refining it as they go along, and you're seeing a lot more, I think, sophistication mm. in whiskey happening in Australia yeah. in a rapid uh, time frame compared to um, you know, what's happening overseas in some ways. Well, and I think we were, and we do, we follow the US as well. We look at other, and America, they were doing big single malts and, you know, heavy tar, like I said, small barrels, which fits in with their palate with the, you know, they're used to big bourbon whiskeys where we're doing these big flavors, putting into single malt whiskey drinkers' palates, and they're probably going, wow, this is a bit big for us and a bit, you know, overpowering. Yeah. And yeah. we're probably going, well, yeah, well, we need to refine back a bit. And yeah, let some of the malt shine. So it's a little bit like red wine. Yeah, you, know, you remember the days when 
you know, Australian red wine was just <clears throat> big in your face, Shiraz and not much else, right? And it became a, a flavor profile on the world stage. It was like Australian wines are just <clears throat> big, huge monsters, right? And now you've got Australian winemakers going to Italy, tearing up vineyards and, t- and teaching Italians how to make wine. Now, it's this is what's happening in, in Australia. The whiskey making and the complexity and the level of experiment, experimentation uh, and innovation because we don't have a lot of restraints. We don't have the restraints of the mm. Scottish or the Americans for that matter. So yeah, right. you know, people are pushing the envelopes, which is awesome. We're young I, industry. I'll have to agree with that as well because I think – you'll find that Australia is, like in particular right now, is in a real good experimental spot where because they've tested the waters with such experimentation, they've they've found like just complete different things that you wouldn't usually pick up in any other, um, you know, uh, uh, country that manufactures the same kind of uh, spirit. Uh, Like, yeah, we're really... You know, pushing the boundaries and you know trying different things, and creating some really nice tasting whiskies out of it. So, yeah, it's um like at at the start, I think it was almost a lot of it was like, well, what's this? Because we didn't know what was to be expected with Australian whiskey, what was coming out of it, because it was yeah. too it was too young an industry. Now, pellets have been developed over time, and we're becoming familiar with what Australia can produce, now it's an educated palate and people uh, are like, well, let's try something, see how this hits the palate. And, yeah, Australia's in a real fun spot now because of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I agree. I also think, um, you know, the likes, yeah, I'm going to preface everything with my, this is my opinion because it is just my opinion, okay? Um, I think the likes of... Um, um, lime burners, uh, or Great Southern Distilling Co., um, uh, Lark, uh, Starwood, uh, Archie Rose, and that, how they've come in with, with propositions which are a lower price point, um, and Morris, you know, on the scene now and others, right? That is sort of a runway for whiskey, uh, people drinking whiskey and want to try Australian whiskey. It's a very easy entry point where they can go, well, Gee, I only have to spend a hundred bucks and I can get to try an Australian whiskey. How cool's that, right? So they're doing some good work, I think, right? Credit where credit's due. Um, but what it's also doing is people then going, "Well, hang on a sec. I'm spending a hundred bucks. I love this. What happens if I go and spend another forty bucks? What other Australian whiskies are out there? Or what, what, I go spend another eighty bucks or another hundred and twenty or whatever. So it, it's it's enabling them to taste other types of whiskies. Uh, which I think is really exciting for, for Australia. Nice. All right, well, should we move on to the next one? Being, um, I'm thinking Blue Zero One. I believe everyone's still got some of that floating around. Blue and Zero um, while we're going that, I'll just um, a quick question for you, Crafty. Um, just a really out of the out of the blue type thing. Why distilling? Why, why did you decide to to move into distilling and making your own spirit? Purely because of a passion that you have for a while or, or something along those lines? 
Do you mean, Adrian, why I jumped from IB to distilling or just why did I get into it? No, no, Eve, why did you get into it in the first place, mate? Grassroots level sort of. Oh, yeah. um, Um, Okay, so it it basically was born out of, um, if I go back to the start, my whiskey experiences uh, was with a a good friend of mine called Derek. And Derek, Mm -hmm. uh, this is early 2000, he loved whiskey with a passion and I hated whiskey with a passion, right? And finally, he convinced me to go off and buy a bottle of whiskey. And I bought a, an Irish, a Scottish whiskey in a green bottle. I think it was Lefroy. I'm not sure. I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, unfortunately, he passed away. When he passed away, his family thought I was a whiskey lover, and I wasn't. But they gave me his home collection of bottles. And one night, uh, I was sitting there, and I lined them all up, and I just felt like paying tribute to Derek, my mate. And I started tasting mm-hmm. that. And I had that, that moment where you go, fuck, there's something to this. And it's like red wines. So they're all, or wines in general, they're all different. Mm-hmm. So that sparked my, my curiosity. Uh, and then I started going to master classes and, and just going into bottle shops and learning a bit about whiskey. Um, what was the ignition of my passion was a master class with Book Laddie. And there was one guy, he's left Brooklady years ago, and he was up the front, and he was showcasing um, Brooklady. This is the resurrection of Brooklady. Um, and I was just gobsmacked that within a single distillery, there was just so much flavor diversity. So from there, it just went, I'm really interested in it. I'm really interested in whiskey. I'm really interested in the chemistry. I'm interested in the people. I love the camaraderie of, of, of just drinking with friends and strangers. Uh, and I went from there and, and it kept going to I convinced my wife um, to allow me to lay a single cask of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, what do you want to do that for? And I went, well, I just want to lay a cask of whiskey and see what happens. Um, we can sell it at the end. That's what I said. Um, so she allowed me to. And then I found a distillery that was prepared to sell me um, some some new make and I was like cool and then I went off and thought Jesus I've got to learn about wood now and then I was at the time I was drinking a lot of Blackgate and I was talking to Brian uh, Hollingworth and I said mate you know, I'm, I'm going to lay a barrel of whiskey he goes oh that's cool like, I really like to to mature it in sort of a location uh, like where you are and I said do you know any bond stores uh, around where you are which is such a stupid question if you know where Mandurin is. Yes, um, I do actually, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, There's me. hundreds of them out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and he goes, What me? And I went, Oh, if you're offering. So one became two, became 10. Wow. To the point he rang me up one day and he goes, Mate, fuck off, take your barrels, go and find your own store, a, a bond store. So then I thought, okay, um, 
I'd love to make whiskey. Uh, so then I started talking to a brewer and started coming up with a wash. And they didn't know what a wash was, and I didn't really know what a wash was. So anyway, I put it together. And then I moved to, well, I want to brew. I want to brew. Uh, and yeah, it just, the distillery sort of evolved. But I managed to, I managed in, oh, geez, four years ago, I managed to orchestrate my own redundancy, um, which gave me the foundation to actually just 100% focus on, on, on doing it. And, uh, yeah, not been easy, I'll be honest. I mean, with fires, New South Wales fires and COVID one and COVID two and that, uh, just small business. Yeah. yeah. And else. Been one well, that's been I remember, I actually remember when you first, um, started kicking off there at KPT. I, um, I was working in Bathurst and traveling back through there or a lot, um, every yeah. weekend or every, and, um, I just finished up at Bathurst, um, and I've got a gig somewhere else, and that's when you moved in. I'm like, damn it, I missed you by about a month, I reckon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not to worry. We've uh, caught up along the way, you know, at, at meetings and stuff. So, no, it's been really good. And uh, yeah. I'm enjoying it. I think the last, last time we got together was at the AWES gathering a few years ago, wasn't it? Uh, Whiskey Pete's do, mate. The, um, oh, Whiskey Pete's, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, I was working the Kill Home and Steam. Anyway, That's right. That Vic, good... you were there as well, mate. Yes, Vic showed up. Mm, yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So you're drinking Blue Zero, and Blue Zero One? Blue Zero, mate, yeah. Yeah, if you could give us a little bit of background on that one as well. Sorry to keep you talking, but... No, it's cool, mate. I'm fine with it. Don't shut up yeah. want me to. Okay, no, Blue Zero. Oh, um, sorry, just, sorry, just to, before you carry on, I now know why you had that bottle of Derek. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, just Derek, just Derek was the yeah. tribute yeah. to Derek. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I never got to try that one, but um, yeah, the, the click the memory when you said that. So no, that's cool. Yeah. Each each of the bottles has the story behind it. It's it to me, it's mm-hmm. very important. You know, it's um, I mean, it's the brand humanizing the art of whiskey. You know, we storytell, we're accessible, and we're transparent. So Blue Zero One was a big deal. Um, so what you've got there, design-wise, I've got a mate of mine who's a bit of a cartoonist. And just hold it up, John, just a little bit closer so you might be able to see the, the cartoon. Yep, yeah, it's cool. So in that, you've got a cartoon of me, of the Todd, uh, my wife Andrea, who's Mrs. Crafty, and uh, Todd's wife, who I call the reality check manager. So she's part of the reality check team, which is Andrea and 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 uh, Kathy. <laughs> so, so how, how does she feel about that, Crafty? <laughs> yeah, she, she, she's okay with it. They're okay with it. Um, then you've got on the on uh, looking at the monitor on the left hand side, you've got Andrew Young, who is the Cooper, uh, who the ring, the ring exactly. So Andrew mm-hmm. signature. On his barrel is turquoise rings, right? And uh, we were going to call it Blue Ring One, but thought, uh, no, that doesn't work. No, no. Blue Zero One, right? And it's a bit, it's got a bit of a Thunderbirdy thing going on because I love Thunderbirds. That's that's a bit of my childhood, right? I the other like thing a breath reading, on, mate. Say again. 
a blue zero one on the breatho. That's what I thought it'd be. <laughs> <laughs> then on on the if you look very carefully on the right hand side, there's a little black and white guy, and that is the introduction of Batman. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah, so it's a little code. That's something to come, which we're still working on. We did one Batman release. Um, but, yes. yeah, a little black and white fellow. And he's he's got an expression of, what the fuck am I doing on this? He's got no, no yeah. relationship with it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They look like a fish out of water in that one amongst the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So Blue Zero One is basically the first Andrew Young super cast uh, that I laid. And so what is an Andrew Young supercast? It is, quite simply, a big Barossa Shiraz cask that's been degorged, uh, filled with Oloroso Spanish sherry, seasoned for a year, toast, and uh, and really heavy char. They'll recoup it into whatever format of a toast and really heavy char. So I've been using Youngie's uh, supercast formats for a number of years. I really like them. The concept behind the supercast is that Old wood fortifieds are getting harder and harder to source, and the costs are going through the roof. So a super cask is a an approximation of the flavour profile of a fortified heavy old wood fortified. That's probably the best way to describe it. Big, rich flavour. That's good. Uh, yeah, really enjoying this one. Um, uh, look, we haven't really been giving out tasting notes and all because look, I'm not the best at that. Vic's the, the guy for the tasting notes, but. Um, Mate, I really am enjoying this one. This one's really good. It's one of my favourite is sherry. Yeah, spirit was Riverborn. Riverborn, unpeated, you make spirit. 100% matured cavity. Yeah, right. For an unpeated spirit, it's very earthy. Very earthy. Mm. Well, John, the, the, what, this what's is beautiful. My favourite so far. Is that barrel char? Yeah, it, it 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 plays with your mind, um, mm. and I've had um, I've had barrels where you pick up chocolate notes and you go, was there any chocolate malt or roasted malts used? No, and it's purely just the barrel char, uh, mm. and how you dial back or dial up the the barrel char. So that particular cask, I think the char was really interesting on it. Oh, mm. right, that's really good. BG95. Yeah, cool. You got any chewing gum, John? Sorry? Are you getting any chewing gum out of this? I am. Chewing gum? Oh, like, are you thinking along the line? Strawberry. Strawberry. What's that? Oh, big red. Strawberry extra. Ah, okay. Um. Ah. Look, you're you're probably getting. See, in like if I go if I go deep sea diving for it, I get those. Um, do you remember those old hardball lollies that were wrapped in uh, like the strawberry uh, candy wrapper, which well it mimicked the strawberry anyway, and it was just a real um, a real syrupy strawberry lolly. That's what it was, and that's what I'm getting on this. Like that's really coming through on this, but with with earthy um, undertones. And what is it now, Phil? Let me revisit it. I'm going from memory now. Mm. 
massive spice bomb on the um, right, right on the the mid and back palate. Um, yeah, definitely hits you on the back. Yeah, that. Mm. You know what? And there's there's no burn on it. It's fifty four point six percent. It's a solid yep. ABV, and yep. I personally don't think it needs water. Do not think it needs water. Um, yeah. Is very drinkable. Yeah, it is. It's a very approachable whiskey. It's mm. uh, yeah, it cuts cuts the palate real well. Nice oily mouthfeel about it. Mm. Yeah, but um, Marty's um, new make it, it's got a really good oily nature to it. I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, said, you said, John. You Shame. said at the, you said at the start that it had a real for an unpeated um, spirit. It had a real earthy flavour to it. I, I get that at the finish. I don't mm. know if that's what you got, but I, I, yeah. I find that it um, that's what stays on your on your palate yeah. after. Yeah. The good old umami note. Yeah. <laughs> umami. <laughs> umami. <laughs> it's definitely got a long finish. Just yeah, wait. Someone, someone's about to unmute himself and there, bang, there he goes. <laughs> what what I'm say getting, you? I'm getting old. What say I'm you, getting Oracle? Young. Young. Oh, well, I got bananas when I first, when I first, I'll be a rum that's coming here was bananas and I was going, oh, my God, this is going to be similar to Tennessee whiskey. Couldn't be further from the truth. But uh, the finish, the finish that I'm getting on it is uh, um, oak, a lot of oak, which yeah. reminds me of um, a really old bourbon, twenty year old plus, or you know something really, um, really old from Scotland. But um, yeah, just oak at the end, which is fine. I like it. I don't mind it at all. But the banana at the beginning was lovely, and those uh, red fruit candy. Was that like a like a, like a dried banana chip or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the oil, yeah, a bit of oil in there. Yeah. It's very uh, funky flavors, eh, John? Very different, huh? It very is. Nice. It takes on a bit of a trip. It takes on a bit of a trip. Um, I, and I'm such a fan of French oak. Um, yeah, yeah, maturation. It's it's uh, like the spicy notes that I get from it is yeah, really. Really rock solid. I, I enjoy that. The challenge of trying to break all the spices and everything down afterwards. So, yeah, good. It's yeah, I'm That's a fan. Cool, That's good feedback. I, I haven't, um, yeah, I haven't tasted Blue Zero in quite some time. Uh, you should send me a sample. It was one of our our, our fastest selling uh, releases. Um, it was being very very popular at Cellar Door that one. Yeah, very good. Yeah, definitely see why. And right. the cool thing about it, it was the mm. first time I really could get an understanding on what a supercast could do. Because up until then, I've been laying supercasts and really didn't have any idea. Well, yeah. no, that's not true. After a year, you have an idea. But um, this was the first release whiskey uh, supercast format. So it was, yeah, really cool. Yeah, right. Good stuff. Cool, all right, yeah. so shall we move on to the next one? The uh, grumpy old man on a hill? Yeah, oh, I think so. This is one that yes. I'll uh, be straight off the bat to say. Look. You'll enjoy this one. Mm. This I have taken great delight. I've already given it a little bit of a nudge. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I am a big fan. Yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> I, I have <laughs> said it's the end of that bottle, but that's all that I had left. 
these times. Had to divide three of these amongst everyone to share tonight. So <laughs> and, that's uh, it. That's again, thank little... you very much. No, all Drunk good. Sitting there laughing, going, "I've got a half a dozen back in the shed." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, well, thank bro. you, John. Thank you, John, for the samples. John, John, John distributed most of the samples out of his own personal stock. Really appreciate it, John. Yeah, Very me too, John. It's, it's awesome. And in fact, the grumpy old man on the hill is the one that I, I probably enjoyed the most on the failed attempt last time, and I um. I've only got a, a very, very small amount left. <laughs> that was a very stressful drive, guys, I tell you. <laughs> no, no, all, all part of the fun, mate. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I've had going to give it a go. I've had to do it, guys. Fear of missing out is um, just too great. Yeah, oh, here we go. Yeah. You, Can we just man, watch you like um, drink it? First, first <laughs> I was going to say, it's, <laughs> it, it, it was really hard for Mick to stay quiet for 40 minutes. That was a name. That's all it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. My, my, my tongue's been pressed against the roof of my mouth just going, how burnt is that? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> for the listeners at home, Mick has just poured himself a drum of whiskey. And he's about, yeah, he just muted himself. So he's, oh, yeah, he's screaming on mute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crafty, can I ask you something um, not related to your drop? Yeah. What is, what, what's, what's one, maybe not the bottle that uh, you said, I think your first, your first dram was Lafroy, which is pretty harsh, I reckon, being your first bottle of whiskey, because that'll either send you one or two ways, won't it? But what's what's one bottle that's in your cupboard all the time that you don't think you could live without? And I've got an idea it's probably going to be something you mentioned before. But what's one bottle you can't live without? And if the price of that bottle was to double tomorrow, you'd still buy it, because you'd still think it's good. Ooh, it's still good, good question, money. That's a very good question, mate. I would say um, Classic Laddie, yeah. Brook Laddie or Classic Laddie. Well, I thought it was going to be a brewery because you yeah. were talking about it so much before. Yeah, absolutely a, a Classic Laddie. Um, if, if I could get on a regular basis Waterford uh, because just to try the different farm style releases, I think that's would be really cool. Um, I I call it a desert island dram, Lagavulin sixteen. Yeah, that's that's always going to be there. You know, if you're stuck on an island, you're definitely going to have that. Um, from an Australian standpoint, that's really an interesting question because I tend to uh, try different Australian whiskies. Um, I'd say right now. The distillery which really interests me um, immensely is uh, King Lake. It's good, isn't it? Well, the thing about King Lake is so Chantel and Sam are using uh, base malts, roasted malts, and heated malts. And I'm using base malts and roasted malts for the I Am signature profile. And we're on a similar trajectory, but our whiskies are, are different. And I love it. You know, I got the I got their their first release, and I rang up Chantel and go, "Mate, that's that's awesome. First release, that's freaking awesome." Yeah. Um, 
And then when they released their cask strength, I was hanging out for that, and I got it the other day and cracked it. Sin, bloody sational. Absolutely. So King Lake will, will, will live on my shelf for a while, for sure. Um, I generally have a, a Blackgate of some sort on, on the shelf. Um, I generally have an, a Riverborn on the shelf. Um, and um, I've been very interested in what Morris has done. Um, tasted their their musket cast and quite, oh, quite yes. that. yeah is that good yeah yeah no it's 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 a good whiskey but the one which has really intrigued me of recent I just bought it um, so Yolumba's um, Angerston Smith's ten year old hundred bucks for seven hundred mils and do you guys remember that it's 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 legendary on Australian landscape. Um, your lumber had uh, old stills, and when the boss was away, a couple of them fired it up and made some whiskey. And the boss came back and went, "What the fuck?" Um, anyway, a couple of years later, they so they released uh, uh, it's like a three-year-old, uh, and then like a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old. Anyway, just recently they've, they've released a, a ten-year-old. It is sensational. If you like your fortified styles, big, rich, heavy, heavy um, bombs, highly recommend the, the Smiths. Um, I've only just cracked the bottle, but I'm 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 loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah, fantastic. It's it's interesting to see what um what people what people uh, have in their cupboards or can't live without. That's great. I like that. Jake's itching. <laughs> He's itching for a question. One one question, Crafty. How often do you uh, check your barrels? Do you taste them? Oh, mate, that's a really good question. Um, what I tend to do is I'll lay a barrel and for one year I won't touch it, right? Then after that I may uh, just have a quick sneaky just to see you know, nothing's untowards and then generally I'll let it go through to two years. Uh, when it hits the two-year mark, then what we start to do is go, right, okay, where are we going with this barrel? Is, is this one we need to just let it go? Um, you know, it needs another summer or more or whatever. Or is it one we need to put under observation? Or is it one that's like, oh, yeah, that's getting pretty close? So we sort of – and that's a – yeah, Vic, that's a fairly recent learning, I think. Um, but right now we've got – five casks under review that are going to be released in the next six months is sort of the plan. So um, what you do is you pull a sample because um, you've got to separate it from wood. Uh, when you taste something in a barrel, it tastes a certain way. When you separate it from wood, it tastes a certain way. When you break it down, it tastes a certain way. So, uh, And that's one of the biggest learnings I've had. No one's taught me this. Um, don't judge your whiskey by what's in the barrel. And Blue Zero One, ah, case in point, Blue Zero One. Um, we loved it in the barrel. We pulled it out and then we broke it down. And when we broke it down, Todd and I, we went, oh, shit, what have we done? Um, we've actually screwed this. Um, and it didn't taste like what we had on the, on the bench. It didn't taste like what we had in the receiver. And it took a good month for it to come together. And then we went, yeah, okay, all right, we're happy with this. So um, a lot of learnings, Vic. Definitely a lot of learnings, mate. Yeah, I was just wondering because everyone's got a different answer. Some, I know someone that doesn't, one of your mates, 
he just leaves it in there until uh, sometimes after 30 months. But, um, yeah, each their own, so well done. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like someone I was talking to today. <laughs> Not too far away from here. <laughs> we try to bring him into the show. Hopefully we'll have him in the show soon. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's very smart, very smart indeed, very intelligent person. Um, yeah, he's got some great whiskey coming out of his uh, yeah, no, he like. is. So, so, how's so he going with the new steel? Hmm? You go, Brad. You go, Brad. So, Grafty, when you say you, you, you left it, the Blue Zero one, and you left it for a period, like a, did you say a month? Was that just in, the, it, just in the bat and waited for it to come together? or? So, like, so, so what happens is you, you separate it from the wood and you put it in a receiver. Yep. And then you, you leave it. So just pick a, an ABV, say 64%, right? And you go, okay, this is now tasting in the receiver. Uh, how does it compare to the barrel? And generally speaking, it will be softer and you'll have less tannic uh, influence, right? That's, that's my findings. But then the next stage is you go, okay, now I want to start breaking it down, okay? I use spring water. Um, you do that on the bench, play around on the bench, and you go, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, I think I know what the ABV is, okay, I'm happy. And then you start to break it down, so you add water. So Blue Zero One, we basically just took it from like 64% to, I can't remember what it was, I think it was about 54, 55, and dumped a whole lot of water in, okay? And a learning that came out of that is, Water and alcohol don't necessarily like each other. And you can, and after research, I found out there's a thing called uh, uh, saponification where you can develop a soapy uh, texture uh, because of the interactions between water molecules and, and alcohol molecules. So after that, I did research and learned that there's different ways to breaking it down. So I apply the brandy technique which is what the winemakers use, and that's where you add water in small amounts and let the water and alcohol come together and then break it down further and break it down further and break it down further. So you break it down over a period of time. The Blue Zero One, because we dumped, um, it got really soapy and flat, and we went, oh, fuck. Um, but it came back. It came back, and it, it's the glorious release that, that we had in the end. Um, but yeah, it's from when it's in the wood to when it's in the bottle. That's the other thing. When once you've got it to the right ABV, and then you put it in the bottle, it changes again. And generally, what you see, my experience, is a softening effect as it goes through from a cask all the way through to a bottle. So when you're pulling something out of a cask, in your mind, you've got to have an idea on how soft the whiskey is going to go. Um, but that's just how I describe it. Uh, other distillers may have different approaches, but yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's sort of so how you, I. So see. Are you saying you're trying to allow for that? You, uh, yes. Like, okay, Holy absolutely, crap. yeah, yeah. And the other one, the, 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 the one of the best techniques I've heard is Peter Bignall. Uh, so Pete says what he does is he breaks down whiskey and puts it into bottles, right? And then he'll just walk past and he'll taste them just as he's going backwards and forwards course of a day, a week or whatever, and then he'll get to a point where he'll look at the bottles and he'll look at the levels 
And the one, the level's gone down further, well, that's the ABV that he's going to say. That's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that, well, that, that's probably fair because, like, you, you, tend to, you tend to levitate towards the one that you like the most, don't you? So, Correct, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Huh. Oh, that's wow. genius. <laughs> it's like a one-man tasting panel, isn't it? Like, because... Uh, at the same time, you know, like through the course of a day or, or whatever, your your palate your palate will change somewhat, won't it? So, you know, you're probably getting a um, a good broad spectrum of the flavour profile and and what people are going to like by doing that. Well, talking about tasting panels, so I have assembled a tasting panel of eleven people, and they're people in the industry and outside the industry, and no distillers. Because uh, I do not rely just on, on my palate, uh, so what I'll do is I'll 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 sit down with with Todd and we'll, and we'll build the basic whiskey, right, and then we'll put it out to the tasting panel and get uh, feedback. Um, and I always try to use uh, spider graphs because it's a really good way to visualize uh, flavor profiles. And so when you've got all these different spider graphs. And you line them all up and look, and you go, well, okay. So people are picking certain notes, and and it, and it helps. Um, so yeah, I use the tasting panel. But to your question on on tastings, you know what? One of the biggest things is that fucks up your tastings. It's your mental state. Oh yeah, yeah. you are not in the right mental state. Do not taste whiskey. Do not make decisions on 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 uh, releases. I can tell you that from first hand experience. Oh well. That goes without saying, doesn't it? Like when you, if you're in a had a bad day, you'll drink anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, where we, can where we just where do we a bleep? Where's, Where's he there, mate? Who's on? Uh, we just oh, where's his head? Got some sound issues. Hey, Crafty, can I just ask another question? It's just a just a light-hearted one. Um, well, I, I think it was I read something I read something it might have been Casey Overeem and it was just back in the in when he was just getting started and it was an anecdote and I was hoping maybe you've got something like that it was really funny it showed me how grassroots how, how people start out he was talking about getting uh, barley okay and yeah. he thought well I've got to get I've got to get a lot of it so um, he, he ordered a ton of it. And basically, a ton of it came in the back of a truck, and they dumped it on his front yard. And the anecdote was that you know here he was with a ton of, of barley on the front yard, wheelbarrowing it from his out the front, loading it into you know shoveling it into the wheelbarrow, and running it out the back before the weather has sunk in or something, and taking it to a little shed where he started with that. So, have you got anything like that? That that that, that you know when I when I read that, I thought, wow, how 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 grassroots is that man? And you know. Um, yeah, just the startings yes. of something spectacular. Mate, I'll tell you my story. So when I got my shed, uh, my original, it was 60 square metres. Yeah. And when I got it, the idea was I was brewing at a brewery and I would bring wash in and then I'd throw it in the still, bang, 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 double distillation, bang, 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 got spirit into barrels, easy, right? Um, but then I decided in my infinite wisdom that I wanted to brew. Now, it took me about three years to really get my head around brewing. Uh, my yields at first were just embarrassingly so low. But 
I couldn't work out how I was going to brew. So I talked to Burnsy, Mark Burns from Burns Welding Fabrication, good mate, mentor, and built my still. And he said, mate, go and get yourself a boat trailer. And I went, what? And he said, go get yourself a boat trailer. We'll get an old uh, uh, milk vat. We'll whack a door on, put a screen in, make a mash tun. And what we'll do is we'll engineer uh, a mobile mash tun. And I went, yeah, that's cool. And that's exactly what we did. So I, I bought a secondhand boat trailer uh, in Western Sydney. And I remember three, three guys, we were trying to put it on the back of my ute. It was sticking up high. And I was thinking, Jesus, I'm going to hit a telephone pole um, and electrocute myself. That'll be the, the end of it. Um, I drove it down to Griffith. We unloaded it. We cut the, the wheel axle. We, we repositioned it. So I could actually pull this mash tun around on the boat trailer. I didn't need to hook it up the trailer. It was just the, the right balance. So for three years, two and a half years, my mash tun lived outside. And every time I brewed, I would pull it up a little wee hill. I would pull it into my shed and I would be up and down on the trailer uh, I'd put blocks under it to secure it, and I'd be up and down on the trailer with buckets of, of malt, pouring it in, hot water, stirring it, then pulling it out and then scooping out all the malt and hosing it down, leaving it outside, and then doing the whole thing the following week. I look back now, and I, oh, Jesus, I've still got a long way to go <laughs> from an efficiency standpoint, but I was that that was the start. So that's pretty pretty hardcore. Hopefully, guys, can you hear me now? I've been in and out, and you got me. Um, crafty, but you know what? The first barrel of whiskey you feel is going to be ever the bloody hardest. Like, you know, like putting grain, grinding barley, shoveling it out, and shit everywhere. And, yeah. you know, it's like, like everyone has a dream of opening a distillery. You know, you, you got to be a professional. You, you spend half your time distilling and half your time to cleaning. Like it's not, it's not all the glory of like here's my whiskey and here's my whiskey release. All the shit we go through in the background, you know, yeah. you do the whiskey mash and then you, you know, you've got your fermented, you're filling your fermenter and your buddy spending another two hours cleaning. Um, yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> we've all started out the same way. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story because you'll relate to this. And this only happened, oh Jesus, it happened in December, right? So I had to, I had to brew. I had to mash in. I had a lot to do, right? And I had all these calls I had to make and take these calls. So I thought I'd get really clever, and I put a headset on, right? So I'm there and I'm talking and I'm working and I'm thinking, oh, this is good, you know? I'm doing shit. I'm happy. Anyway, so it came time to pump out from the mash tun and 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 pump over in water. Turned on the pump, and the pump went that. <laughs> why did the pump stop and then I open the pump up and it's just full of grain right and I go full of grain what the hell's going on I know I've got a leaky screen sometimes but this is ridiculous right yeah. and then I clean it all out plant it back in turn it back on and I go uh oh there's something here I don't understand so what had happened is I had forgot to put my mesh screen in Oh, and, and so you can imagine. I had basically, <laughs> I had a vessel full of porridge. Full We've of done porridge. that before. Done that. Yeah. 
But I had this vessel of porridge, and then I thought, well, how am I going to pump out? How am I going to get this out? And then I thought, well, I've got to get the water out. And so how do I get the, how do I get the water out? So then I thought, oh, I'll just pump over the top. But every time I did it, I sucked grain. So I ended mm-hmm. up using the hop basket, pushing it into the grain to put yeah. the hose in the hop basket so I could just drain the liquid out. Then a mate turns up at one in the afternoon and I go, uh, you want a beer? And he goes, yep. And I go, you're not going for a while. Um, and so we took the water out. Then we had to scoop all the wet grain out. Then we, yeah. had, to, then we had to put the screen back in. Then we had to put the grain back in. Then we had, at 3.30 in the morning, he left and I went to bed at 4. Crafty, you're oh, welcome to our bed. own, like, my world, like we all did the hard yards, and that's like I said, anyone wants to open a cellar, you got to be a magician, a plumber, an electrician, a boiler maker. Um, you know, I, it, it's always something. There's a fucking hose popped up here. There's fucking element, or there's this or that. Like you got to be doing all of that as a, what we're doing. Um, yeah. We've just installed, luckily this year, two vessel mash ton. Double system. It's going to change my life because I am sick of doing things the hard way. You know, so, um, so that gets rid of the theory of you're not just becoming a professional alcoholic when you have your own yeah. distillery. That's well. it. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently. They said, "Oh, they did um, work experience at the distillery. It's like working at a dairy farm." And it is. You're fucking hosing shit out and you're bloody doing this. And, you know, and it's like, it is. And you're like, distillery. And, we, and it's hard to craft. You'd be the same. Like, people go, I want to tour your distillery. Man, you want to come in here on a Saturday afternoon when it is just a mess of shit. I don't want to say, I know you're the place. You know, I'm swearing. There's shit on the floor.